Welcome to episode 66 of the Rex Chapman Show with my super dope homeboy from the Lex Town, Josh Hopkins. What's up, Josh? What's happening, Rex Everett Chapman? How are you, buddy? Uh, how's your, uh, how's Brooklyn? Brooklyn's good. How's Austin? It's good. It's good. It's yeah. a little chilly here, actually. Yeah, looks, 45, looks a little, which is chilly Looks a little here. hazy. Looks a little mm-hmm, hazy mm-hmm. there. What's yeah. it like over in Brooklyn? Is it, uh, is it nice? It's clear, clear but cold. Mm, it's hazy but cold. So, yeah, well, yeah. 40s here, so at least it's a little better than that. But anyway, hey, uh, enough about the one. Episode 66. Ooh, uh, yeah. Any famous 66s you can think of, Josh? Well, Hopkins. you know how I love the ice, you know, mm-hmm. and Mario I don't want Lemieux. you to tell... Oh well, okay. Well, I'll I'll just uh, I'll piggyback on that. Mario Lemieux, um, yeah, yeah. sixty six. I was going to tell a little story about him. Right. I uh, I was in New Jersey playing with okay. the uh, Washington Bullets at the time. We were gonna we were staying at I think it was the Embassy Suites right next oh, to okay. the Meadowlands. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's late one night. Just got in from some other city, and uh, you know need to ice my knee or ankle or whatever it was. And I leave the room with the ice bucket. I'm going down and I see this big dude walking into the same ice room to get this uh, um, bucket of ice. And I go in there and he turns around and he recognizes me at the same time I recognize him. And it is Mario Lemieux. And he's as big as I am, if not bigger. And that's what really threw me off, you know. Right. The hockey guys aren't usually that bit that tall. Tall, right? Tall dude was big, and I just remember going, "Oh my god!" You know, sport people didn't really know each other that right, much at right. the time. It was a different world, but yeah, big dude. You can see why he was so imposing on the ice. I love it too. These, you know, two, you know, um, big, great af- athletes. You know. Uh, top of their field and they're both going to the ice room at the NBC suites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah, I got to get a bucket of ice from yeah. me. Yeah, really. It's a uh, glamorous, really glamorous. Um, buddy, Scott Pollard, uh, Scott Pollard, Scott Pollard. 66 with the Celtics. Don Zimmer. That. I've met him. Good friend of mine. Uh, Don Zimmer. Wow. Don Zimmer. And uh, I think we have a Scott Pollard. At one point, War sixty six. Yeah, I think I said that, but you know, and maybe in not. the news and in the news recently, Yasiel Puig. Yes, yes, he's six six, huh? Yeah, but 66. of course, to us, it's both Doctor J, Doctor J, Doctor J. Yeah, yeah. Um, Josh, book club. We always oh, like to is, I like do to do a book club each week. Yeah. Um, did you? Uh, what'd you read this week? Nothing. What about you? Nothing. That's been book club. You know, I really want to get to our guy here. I do too. We got I'm I'm excited. I know you and I have so many questions for him. He's he's actually, I think he's beaten our Wildcats, and I'm gonna have to look here. I he's think broken my heart a couple times. I sure. think I think he's in 13 career games against our Wildcats, he's eight and five as a coach. Today, Josh. Big thrill. Our guest is former Big Ten Coach of the Year, 2004 Final Four appearance, former head coach of Marquette, Indiana, and Georgia. He has 403 career wins. Let's welcome Thomas Aaron Crean. Tom, (laughs) welcome, buddy. We try to get everybody's full name in there. Oh, I like it. I don't get called that very often. I I fill it out a lot on all these different 
forms and things that I have to do to get registered for different things now that I never had to do that I always had somebody doing for me, but, but I don't get called that very often. So it's great. National coach of the year too, in 2012. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Is that right? I believe so. I think so. Yeah. That's good. I'll take it. (laughs) I would know that I would wear a a necklace around that said that you don't even know if if that happened for you. I've still got the trophies, but in all honesty, some of those are in the garage right now, which I'm not, I'm ashamed of. I've got to put, I've got to decorate this little office area that I have in my house. But some of that stuff is like in storage or sitting in the garage waiting. So that's going to motivate me to get it out. So I can remind Good, myself. Good. <laughs> Coach, I've seen you on, I've seen you on, on TV a couple of times in the last, you know, couple months at different ball games. Are you itching to coach? How are you doing right now? Uh, I'm, I'm, I feel good with being busy. Uh, I'm joining ESPN or have joined ESPN. So I'm going to do games and great and uh, some studio uh, analyst work. And I did that back in 17. I enjoyed that. I'm going to go back and do that. So I miss coaching, but I think that the thing that's good for me is I watch so much film. I watch so much film in the sense of preparation for not only television, but in preparation of really watching who's developing as a player, what staffs are developing players, how they change from year to year. I went back and watched a ton of film from last year, uh, college and the NBA. I study Europe a lot because I think there's so much to learn from the European game. And then now it's really a lot of watching NBA, especially the guys that I have uh, in the NBA, watching them, uh, keeping track of their game and then studying a lot of different college. So I feel good. You know, I love living in Florida. Uh, I've tried to travel enough, but not so much that I get away from being around home and being around my youngest daughter, who's 17. And I have a son that's in Dallas now and a daughter that's in New York. So being able to go see them is good. So I feel good with everything. It sounds Uh, like, Coach, the way you say it, you're like, you know, you you introduced it like you're studying to be an analyst. But then it sounds like you're studying to to uh, be a coach to further your game because you're like you know studying overseas and studying the sure. game and the development so it sounds like your eye is on coaching still well, I think it's both Josh I really do I I think it, where I got a feel for this is when I worked with Yahoo with Adrian Wojnarowski and his team before the draft um for two years back in 2015 uh, 16 I think it was and then 16 17 and so Studying the draft for me was awesome. And it was a great learning experience because you're studying players, but at the same time, you know, you're preparing for a job, but you're also preparing your team, preparing your mind. You're seeing new things. I'd have three different charts going. I'd have the the, the stuff that I was writing about the, the player. Okay. I'd have drill ideas or play ideas that I would get from watching the games. And then I was able to make, um, you know, judgments or, or critiques on how the team was playing. And so, like, I think you watch it the same way. Like, I wouldn't want to be an analyst if I wasn't learning and if I wasn't looking at it from a coach's lens. And I think that's, that's smart. why I get hired because it's not. I'm not going to have a, a great stick. I don't have a lot of funny things to say. Uh, I'm not looking for soundbite material that makes me sound funny. I'm trying to – I want to watch people that I learn from, right? Like, I want to. I want to listen to people – the greatest credit that I could give to somebody that I listen to is that I've got a paper and pen near me, right? No matter what it is, no matter what 
Um, I'm like that with TV shows, right? Like mm -hmm. you never know what kind of great line you're going to hear that you're going to be able to apply to your own life or to your team or to what you do. And so to me, I think when you can be entertained, but educated first and foremost, I think it's great. And that's what I try to do watching film. Since we're just on this right now, I, I would like, I want to get to, to uh, your growing up and everything, but since we're on it, how do you think the game is changing? It's changing so quickly. Obviously it had a metamorphosis in the NBA a few years ago and, and now it's starting to spread into college. Where do you think the game is going? How's it changed just in the last few years that you've seen? Well, I think we see it right now. If, 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 if the, the bridge right now that's tough to cross and you see it because it's getting so much attention, you know, with NIL money and with people on all American lists are the big men in college basketball. And before NIL, you know, you'd either have to cheat to keep those guys there or they were going to leave and probably not have much of an NBA career. And I think what you're seeing is there's still room in the college game, not only for the low post player, okay, and, and for the guy that can rebound and, and block shots and the guy that can score in the lane. OK, where there's still room for that in the NBA, but not at the expense of being able to guard the ball, not at the expense of being able to guard a guard 23, 25 feet away from the basket, not at the expense of not being able to shoot, not at the expense of not being able to drive and pass or play out of the elbow. And I think that's what you have. I, I think I think the big man is the greatest difference right now between college and pro. And and unfortunately for the bigs especially a lot of them that are back, are they really improving their skills that are going to get them to the next level? Are they really getting better at guarding the dribble? And in many cases, no. Are they getting better at being able to make decisions, not only out of the low post as a passer, but being able to drive it or play out of the elbow? The answer in a lot of cases is no. Are they building their range as shooters with consistency, you know, in a spot-up game, a driving kick game, a pick-and-pop game, things like that? And a lot of times the answer is no. And I think that's that's the difference. Are you really developing your players to not only win in college, but to have a future at the next level? Or are you really building your development around the system that you want to play? And I think that's in the NBA, if you don't have versatile skills, if you don't have multidimensional skills, if you can't do numerous things, you're not going to play very long. I mean, you're certainly not going to play when it's winning time. But in don't college, you can get away with that a little more. Don't you think also if that if that kid, let's say, just doesn't have that, you know, club in his bag, he's just not. Isn't it good that he can stay a couple of years in college and make all make this money that he that he wouldn't be able to make in the NBA because, you know, maybe he'd be up and down, maybe, you know, at, uh, springboards him into like uh, playing overseas or something. But at least he's making money. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's there's. And, and again, you bring that up. I'm hearing too many horror stories of guys that are making money. I heard the story the other day of a kid that got $270,000 to stay and he's already pretty much already blown out all the money. Oh, like, what you really, really want to see now, I think, and this is where this, the programs, if you have a good team and you're worried about that individual team, you're not as focused on this. If you're building a great program, you're focused on this. These guys got to learn how, and ladies, they got to learn how to, how to balance their money. They got to learn how to save their money. They got to learn that it's not about the next, uh, Louis Vuitton bag or the Burberry long coat and things like that. It's much more about how are we going to save our money for myself and my family? Because a lot of these guys that are making great NIL money now, they're going to have to go overseas at best. And that's not going to be because the, because obviously the European game, 
is very, very similar to the NBA because of the way the NBA has taken so much from Europe. So that would be my biggest concern. Are, are people really with these young people teaching them how to save their money, invest their money so that they have something to fall back on, not only in two or three years, but have something to fall back on in 10, 15 years? Because they're not going to make that kind of money playing professional basketball. I look at a guy like, uh, well, Travis Diener, um, or, or let's let's say Aaron Kraft, right? Aaron Kraft, who played a tremendous college career. I like that that guy, who's not an NBA player, not going to play in the NBA, that guy can, you know, knock out a million dollars or however much he, he can knock out. Josh and I have talked about this. Um, it's fascinating to me, and I, I'm anxious to hear your take on it. Uh, the NIL, I love, you know, that the, the kids are able to make some money now. Mm -hmm. uh, but I wonder as a coach, you know, I played for Eddie Sutton, old school kind of guys that, you know, you expected to go to college. You know, you're not legally being paid. You're going to college. And that coach has so much, you know, you can, if, if you transfer, you got to sit out a year. Um, that coach had so much power um, over the players and you know, it was a different era. Coaching today, if I'm an 18-year-old McDonald's All-American and I go in to play at, you know, a, a top university and I'm making a lot of money already, if I'm not a great player yet and I can't even get off the bench, but I'm one of the most, uh, the highest paid players in the locker room, coach, doesn't that, doesn't that complicate things for college coaches in a way that we've never seen before. And now there's there are different elements in that locker room and in the way maybe that because kids can now pack up and leave and go play on a different team tomorrow. Sure. How does how does that that coaching you've done it one way for so long? How how are guys adapting now and are some guys not adapting? I think you can really look Well, two things. I think you can look at football right now. And you can almost make assumptions if you're in this business, the coaching business, and really knowing sports the way you guys do, you can make the assumptions where the locker rooms are in trouble. Yeah. And I mean, you just can't. And it's going to happen in basketball because the kids may not be keeping score, but the outside family, friends, influencers, they are keeping score. Mm -hmm. And they're putting that in people's heads. And you may not be the accountant in the locker room, but you've got accountants by you. And I, I look at it this way, Rex, and I was thinking about this when when I was uh, getting ready to be with you on this show, is I remember, I think it was the McDonald's game was in Detroit, right? Was your McDonald's yeah. game? Yeah, I was there. If you, and in, in, you had a dunk contest in it, right? Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Okay, your game in the McDonald's game, your dunk, you had a dunk. I don't remember if it was in the game or in the dunk contest, <laughs> but it was unbelievable, right? Like it was, and that was, that was pre where we're at now, but that was national news when you went to the basket in that game. And I just think about like, I, I said this to a friend of mine the other day when I told him I was going to be actually, could you imagine what Rex would have made an NIL before he ever got to Kentucky? <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm dead serious no. because you would have, it, it would have been unbelievable. You know what you would have been paid. Now here's the thing when you got in, okay. Would you have been as driven and as hungry to continue to perform? Well, yeah, look at your background. You grew up in a coaching family, right? So probably the money wasn't going to change your desire, but there's no question that money will break down desires and it gets you focused on the wrong things, which changes your focus from where it has to be. 
And here's what I think happens, Rex. I think you not only have the jealousies in the locker room, but because the money comes easy, I've got probably 18 guys, I think it is. It's either it's either 17 or 18 guys that have played in the NBA, right? Wow. $760 million plus is what they've earned. 75% of those guys were not ranked in the top 100 coming out of high school. Wow. And and it's it's not just Dwayne Wade and Victor Oladipo. It's, it's others. Nick Claxton, who I coached for a year, was ranked like 234. OG Ananobi was 278. Those guys had incredible drives. Victor Oladipo had one scholarship offer, okay, when we signed him. He shot 14% as a sophomore from the big in the Big Ten from three. He shot 47% from three as a junior in the Big Ten. He's wow. one of the most re, uh, relentless workers I've ever coached. Well, I can put him in a class with a lot of other guys that made that level. And I think that's what's getting lost right now is the money that you're making has no bearing on what money you're going to make down the road if you don't have the right work ethic, character, desire, determination, competitiveness, and if you can't stay focused on improving. And I see more and more guys that that are way more focused on score first, okay, and get it first than they are work first and learn that you have to earn it. And then you go to the NBA level, and you know better than than anybody on this on this on this show that. If you don't have that work ethic, you're not going to last. You you might get bounced around a little bit, and they may keep taking chances on you, but you're not going to succeed. You're not going to perform at a high level, and you're not going to last. Yeah, you know, I, you make such a great point. I, with Victor, I go back. I, I remember my son was at Ball State. He played there for a year, and I, I was at in Indianapolis watching a summer league game, I think. You were there with Victor, and you had a white kid on your team, same class as Victor, I believe. Good player. Will uh, yeah, Will Sheehy. Will Sheehy. He's and now in were... player development with the Warriors. He played overseas. That's right. He played in the G League, and now he's got a coaching future with the Warriors. It's amazing. But I, I was there, and, uh, you know, they were young. They, they were in college still. And I remember uh, walking up – Really, I wanted to walk up and see how tall Victor was. That was really my <laughs> my my uh, reason for going over there. But you you guys were there. You stopped and you talked to me. Uh, it was amazing. I asked you about Indy the kids. Pro-Am. I remember it. Carlos, that's what it was. Of that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, so, but I remember talking to Victor, and you know, still at that time, he's an unknown, really. He, you know, but I had said to you, I said, man, that kid. He's got a real chance, you know, still at that time, he didn't shoot it real well. And he, he was just raw, but <laughs> it's fun to watch those guys. Cause you see them all that you see guys with talent all the time. It's fun to watch the guys who the money. Yeah, it's great. And you know, I'd like to play pro ball and all that stuff. It's, I don't think it's ever been easier to get to the league. The, but that's not the option. The option, or that's not the goal. The goal is to stay in the league once you're there. Exactly. And to watch Victor, you know, just grind through. And obviously, he's gone through health stuff the last few years, which has been tough to watch. Mm-hmm. But to see where he came from, from when you got him, who you know, at we, Josh and I are diehard Kentucky fans. You get a kid named Victor Oladipo that we don't know about. Yeah. We're like, fine. Who cares? <laughs> well, guess what? Yeah. Can play. We, we cared later. <laughs> yeah, we did care later. We still bring up the game. Josh, what was the game where, where they just broke our heart at their place? 2012. 
Christian uh, Watford. Last, Christian Watford, last second shot, yeah. first loss of the year for us. We had that squad, and it rushed. They, I mean, I've never seen a rushing of the court like that. It was like you didn't even see people come as just red all of a sudden. I'll tell and you how bad it that was, was. Unbelievable! It was so bad uh, that loss still in my mind because I was in with Zeke at bought my son at Ball State, and we were at a, a big house full of Indiana fans watching that game. <laughs> and I'm sitting. <laughs> and you felt good before it. You were like, we got a team. Talking we got a shit. squad. Yes, talking shit. Well, that's what they well, and then as you know, we lost to them later in Atlanta. But the, the the great thing about those two teams, our team got a lot better that year. Yeah. And um and so did John's. John's team got a lot better that year. I mean, I don't know if there's a coach in the country that does a better job of changing me first. Than John. Now he's got his work cut out for him right now right. with this team. And I think he'll get it because some they're a little bit older and I think he's got to get it, it changed around. But what he does to get you to buy into the team concept and to, and to be stronger, his will and desire to win is stronger than your will to do it on your own. And I think that's what separates. And, and I say that because I think more and more right now in this world of portal and this world of NIL, in this world of how easy it is to pick up and leave. And I think we're going to see it now in football as you start to see mm -hmm. players that probably have every intention of going back to their program, especially in the Power Five. They probably have every intention of going back, but they want to see if the salary can be matched. They want to see how much they can get. And there's so many things. It's almost like right now, if you can think about it in the NIL, it can be created, whether it's houses um, wow. obviously cars. I mean, we can go right on down the line. I mean, it's crazy. I had a, I had a, uh, 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 former player of mine tell me that he lost a recruit because another school promised that the family could get on a charter trip a couple times a year. And they were also going to be able to get a chartered bus for the family from their city to the school site. And it's like, there's no way that's legal. But in this NIL world, there's somebody laying awake at night trying to figure out how to make that legal. Mm -hmm. And that's where that's where the game is crazy right now, because I'm all for players making money, too, especially um, in, in, in a real way. Right. In the mm -hmm. name, image, and likeness way. And, and I've coached against cheating and people like that enough that you, you build up such a resentment of that, that that when a chance for somebody to make it legitimately is there, you want to make sure that they can but but what you also want them to understand, the greatest gift you can give somebody is a vision right now. They're making their money, but that crystal ball that says you have no idea what's coming inside of that crystal ball if you don't work and if you don't build your skills and if you don't. I mean, I'm watching more guys right now in college basketball that are not developing the other hand, right? They might mm -hmm. be right-handed and they still can't go left because they can't really drop their right shoulder any better than they could a year ago to get the left-hand dribble out, to get the ball extended. And you could say it in so many different areas. They're not better at guarding the ball because they're not more athletic. It's really easy to get a lot stronger in, in, in sports or in life, right? It's not as easy to get more athletic. So you've got to really, really work at that level of athleticism. Rex is as great a leaper as you were and as great an athlete as you were, you still had a quickness 
and a, and a, and a, and a change of direction defensively that you had to build as a player, or you may not have had the career that you had. Right. So if you right. tried to get by on win and dunk contests, you'd have been good, but you wouldn't have been great. You wouldn't have had the career that you have. And I'm not, I'm, that's just what I remember of you. Like yeah. you always improved. And I think that's what's getting lost a little bit with people is that you've got to improve in every possible way and maturity, no spiritually, athletically, strength wise, mentally, skill wise, the whole, it's a long list and you better be locked into all of them or, or your ceiling is going to hit. The Rex Chapman Show is sponsored by Fliff. Fliff is a social sports book with a chance to win cash prizes. Fliff customers can purchase Fliff coins and then as a bonus, Fliff awards free Fliff cash with their purchase. Fliff is the only sports book that gives you free coins and cash daily. Sign up for Fliff, the social sports book. What makes us different, you ask? Fliff is a free-to-play sports book that awards real cash and prizes. Use the code BBNEWS for a 100% match bonus. No sports betting in your state? Try Fliff. Coach, when did you when did you uh, know you wanted to coach? Why did you want to coach? And um, yeah, where does that passion come from? I think I think I'll always love sports. And I think growing up in Mount Pleasant, you know, we lived. Uh, I didn't see it as the country, but when I look back at it, it was the country. Right. Mm -hmm. There just weren't a lot of houses around it. I, 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 you know, I didn't grow up on a farm or, you know, have to do things like that. But we were out of way. So I would go into central Michigan uh, to what was called Dan Rose Arena, you know, where central Michigan played. And I would go in there and play pickup and I would take this thing called dial a ride. All right. Dial a ride was a big mini bus that transported you around town. And back then it was 50 cents to go 50 cents to come back. So it cost me a dollar to go in. And, and, and because I wasn't living around a lot of people, I mean, I would just go in there and spend hours and I just fell in love with basketball that way. And I was always, there was rarely any high school kids there. Sometimes my friends would come, but most of the times they wouldn't, they were doing other things. And playing other sports. So you'd be in there with other college players. I mean, other college people. But the college players would be around. And coaches would be around. Guys like Charlie Coles and Dick Parfit and Dave Ginsburg. And a man that I worked with at Alma College for three years, Ralph Pym. So you just built relationships along the way. And I just fell in love with the game. And then my high school coach, Denny Kuyper, really took an interest in me learning about the game. And, and uh, I wasn't a very good player, but I was on the team. But I just knew, you know, really probably after my sophomore or during my sophomore year in high school that I thought I really wanted to coach. And wow. uh, it's kind of took off from there. So I got started at my old high school, my first year out of high school at 18. And then by the time I was 20, I was not only coaching at Mount Pleasant High School and going to school in Central Michigan, but I was coaching at Alma College, which was 25 minutes from Mount Pleasant. <laughs> so I was really doing all three. And I fortunately wow. had a mother that that could help take care of me financially because I think I made $700 in three years, you know, working at Elmo College. <laughs> and, and I, and I loved it, man. I mean, yeah. I, when I got my first, my first job at Western Kentucky for $33,200, I could see, I could see another three and another one. I felt like I was a millionaire, right. At right. that age of, 24 it's probably you with your first check it was a little bigger than 33,000 but, but I but, I understand I understand for, for Josh but like for me when I got that like because I never grew up going to coaching for the money and then eventually the money comes and you want it and you want to earn it and a lot of times I've said 
you know, there, there's a lot of jobs where your salary is combat pay, right? And yeah, coaching yeah. can be a lot like that. And that's <laughs> yeah. not that's not a that's not a knock at all. In the, what, what military law enforcement and they, they make it that's a totally different world. But mm-hmm. but but you just kind of go up the ladder, and um, I loved it. And that's that's really where my love for it became. But watching Central Michigan play uh, as a kid. Being there, that stuff was awesome. I saw Larry Bird right after he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. The year they went to the finals, I saw him set a record in Rose (laughs) Arena with 45 points on a Monday night and got his autograph after the game. Right, And no threes. And no no threes. threes. And no threes, exactly. It was unbelievable. Hey, hey, Coach, real quick, I want want to be sure and get this in. Um, At an early age, your your parent, all of us as parents try to show our – teach our kids about compassion but uh your your parents were taking in foster kids mm-hmm. um what what effect did that have on you you know seeing what your parents were capable of well i think um my mom had an incredible heart right and my mom did an incredible job for my sister and i of showing that heart wanting to take care of people but also letting us have their life our life i should say like me going to Detroit to the McDonald's game, seeing you in it, was my mom giving me a ride to Detroit. Me going with a friend of mine to the game, her going shopping, and then coming back to pick me up and we drive back to wow. my place. Right? Like, that's that's the example. Or maybe going to a Piston game. You know, yeah. or, or my dad taking me to a Lions game on Thanksgiving or a Tiger game. There, there was always, uh, and my mom and dad weren't weren't together through a lot of that. Right. And 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 so we went through a lot of challenges as a family. But I think that level of how my mom cared for people. And I mean, she was a 24 seven person now. I mean, if somebody needed our house opened up at three in the morning, our house was opened up at three in the morning. Wow. That's just the way that it was. And that was her that was her passion and, and her love of life. And she wanted to help others. Fantastic. Um Bowling Green. You brought up Bowling Green. Uh, I'm born. In, I was born in Bowling Green. I know. It. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My dad uh, played there. My, he met my mom there. Uh, you met your uh, future wife there. And she is the sibling of the Harbaugh's. Correct. Jim, John, I want to know first. I played in a golf tournament with John years ago. I want to know if he's still as slow as he always has been playing golf. Still a slow golfer. Wow, you know what? I don't play. I don't, <laughs> oh, you don't. Play. I don't know. But and you know what? That's funny you say that. Probably the last time I've been on the golf course with the two of them would have been right after we'll be married 30 years in 20 and next year. So probably the year after we got married at Jim's tournament. Jim would have a tournament uh in Ann Arbor, you know, for his foundation. And and so he would have the family would golf. And I quit golfing in that. The first time I golfed, the second time I didn't golf because I was embarrassed. <laughs> uh, I don't remember how slow they played. I just remember how far those guys hit it off. They're good. They can blast it. Yeah, no, they they're can. good golfers. They're okay. really good golfers. I should take more time. They're so good. John can get, <laughs> John can get locked in to the moment that he's in, and he can get into conversation. So I could see him not maybe uh, zooming <laughs> across the golf course. But John is going to make sure – that everybody that's in his group um, feels equal. I mean, it's unbelievable. It, it, it's unbelievable. The two of them, we could spend hours talking about what they are as leaders, but but they both have a way 
of making the people that they're with, you know, their teams, they hold people accountable like you can't believe. You know, in, in, in both their cases, it's been Hall of Fame guys. Mm-hmm. Right. And 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 with John with Baltimore and Jim when he was with San Francisco. But they have a pulse of their team where their team feels connected to them in so many ways. It's really, really unique. And and John and John's got that, you know, when he's out golfing. Jim is going to try to win from the first hole on, right? Like Jim is going to do everything he can do from the first tee shot, you know, to win that match. You know, three rounds. 18 holes, 36 holes, whatever it is. John's going to want to win, but he's going to have some fun doing it too. That, I just can't imagine your your kids growing up in this family, in this environment. I, I just imagine them being like, uh, you're going to do the laundry? Well, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the laundry one load at a time. That's how we're going to approach this here. Like, do they just speak in cliches? <laughs> What's it like for them? Oh, no, they're pretty good. See, my wife, Joni, Joni grew up in that. Right. So Joni grew up and she was the youngest. And so John would protect her. Jim would. Jim didn't always protect her. They're they're both very protective now. But there was a lot of Joni was in the middle. And so she knew what she knew what it was like to play both sides against the middle. Right. With her brothers. Right. Yeah. She also knows, you know, what it's like to make sure that nobody gets away with anything. She's been really good about our kids having to toe the line. But uh, not a lot of cliches. Um, but that really, there, there really is. And that's funny. You mentioned that because they're so young and they've been around it for so long. You think there might've been, but I know my son developed a passion for coaching, not only from being with me, but from being in this family. And, uh, I always say, you know, you guys, I tell my kids, you guys are the luckiest because your mom's the most competitive Harbaugh in the family And, and their dad, Jack, obviously who was the head coach at Western Kentucky. When I went there and I met Joni. The last game he ever coached, he won an FBS championship, you know, over McNeese State in Chattanooga in 2002. And so to me, you know, it's just incredible what that family has accomplished in coaching and leadership, but the love that they have for each other is something that I've been fortunate to be a part of for almost well, over 30 years now when you look at the dating part and that our kids are really fortunate to be a part of. Fantastic. Um, coach, I um I go way back with Rick Patino. We've had Rick on. Um, I've known him since I was probably 15 or 16. Uh, he was at the five-star camp when I, I first met him. Um, he he went to, you know, the beginning of his coaching career, and he was at UMass. He was at Hawaii to begin, and then he ended up at Kentucky. He left Kentucky, went to Boston, went to Louisville. And during that time, he said, uh, and we know so well because he ends up coming back and coaching at Louisville. He he admitted that uh, he felt like Kentucky was his Camelot and he left Camelot. Can you look, you've coached at Marquette and Indiana and Georgia or any of the, can you look back and do you have that sort of thought at all about where your happy place was at one point in time um, where, where you maybe didn't fully appreciate it? Well, when we took over at Indiana, now that ended up working out great. Mm-hmm. And it ended, I ended up coaching so many uh, really good teams and great people. I had no idea what I was walking into there. And, really? and there were many a day that, um, in fact, I actually, I took the job on a, let me see, met on a Monday night, took it on a Tuesday, introduced on a Wednesday. And by that following Monday, a vice president back there would say, hey, let, why don't we treat this as a bad April Fool's joke and you come back? Because I was already in a situation now where... Mm-hmm. 
we, we my, my first day on the job, I found out we had 19 Fs with three and a half weeks left of school. Oh now you start God. finding out all the flunk drug tests. Now you start finding out who's doing this, who's oh. doing that. And that was just the beginning of it. I and mean, it was three months. It was three years of craziness. But the first yeah. three months were. You uh, had two returning players that were walk-ons. That was like uh, yeah, it. That's, that's what that it first ended up year, Two walk-ons way. were cut. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's what you ended up with to start this, 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 your first season. I mean, oh, yeah. that's really from the ground up and especially at a university like Indiana, you know, no, it was gold the craziness would be, would blow you away. I mean, we, we would go clean lockers out and find lighters, roach clips. Um, I had, a, I had a player's parent try to negotiate failed drug tests down. If we, got the two, <laughs> if we got the two failed drug tests wiped out, the player would come back. I'm not kidding. I mean, it was unbelievable. And, and um, what made it really hard is the athletic director that I thought I was going to go through it with and that they told me I would go through it with. Because when I interviewed for the job, I, in, in, in full belief, I still don't think anybody there had an idea how bad it was. And if they did, they played, then I'd, then, then I'd want to play, po- I wouldn't want to play poker against them, right? right, right. Even they had a great view of it because it was just all in bits and pieces, which ended up mm-hmm. to be one gigantic mess. I think Dan Dockich had a pretty good idea of how much of a mess it was. And I think that's why the way he finished it, he finished it there the way he would have wanted to coach it, right? He tried to mm-hmm. instill some discipline in it, but it just fell apart for many reasons. And especially when Kelvin Sampson left, it just totally fell apart. But, but um, I, I, there were regrets during that, but there was such a belief that we could build it up. And the fan base was so good when we first started that I would say this, there's nothing like a sold out game. And we had numerous sellouts. We had, you know, we went from uh, Indiana had always dominated the, the student ticket market, right? They'd mm-hmm. always, they'd always been the highest and not the biggest arena, but they'd always had the most students. We lost half the students that first year. I mean, it got down from 8,000 to under 4,000. We ended up getting it a few years later that there ended up being a, a, a student ticket uh, selling of over 16 and a half thousand seats. And you could only go to one every three games. So like not knowing that, you know, going yeah. into it, when, when that game is packed and it's sold out and those fans are behind you, there's nothing like it. And I think yeah. Rupp probably gets like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in some great games in Rupp. I think that gets like that. I'm sure Duke, Kansas, but that's what makes that special. But I don't know if I've ever had a, a Camelot. Like I was really happy being an assistant for Tom Izzo at Michigan state. I was really happy coaching at Mount Pleasant high school and driving 25 minutes, both ways to Alma college and being able to be a part of two practices in the same day. Like I, I think you just appreciate your experiences now, there's a whole bunch of things I wish I could do over. Right. And there's a whole bunch of decisions. And I wish I'd have been way smarter in some things going into Georgia. So, like, there's no doubt about that. But but at the same time, I don't think you can look at life that way. I think you have to – the relationships to me, as I've grown in coaching, they always trump the good or the bad when yeah. it comes to the, to the, to the, to the, 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 the macro level, right, to the big picture. Yeah. But the real big picture is the relationships that you build and how those manifest years after. And you don't realize that when you first start. But I think as you go through, you really do. And that's what I appreciate the most in all three places. I I think that you said something earlier that really uh, has been sticking with me. You talk about, you know, you didn't get into coaching for the money. Same way as a player. I 
I didn't, we didn't have professional sports in Kentucky. I didn't see an NBA game until I played in one. So, and so my motivation, no matter what, was always just my pride as an athlete. I didn't want anybody on my team to beat me out. And I didn't want the guy to, that I was squaring up against to beat me out, not in practice, not in anything. And I think that's what you're describing is just, you know, your Camelot is, you just love to coach. Um, and I, I want, I wonder, um, you know, earlier this year, you were inducted into the Marquette Hall of Fame. How do you look back on your time there, especially that final four run? And I just want to say I was there um, and, oh, it was it was heartbreaking. It was Gerald Fitch we had and Keith Bogans, very good team. But Keith was a McDonald's All-American, if you remember. He was yep. a senior. Also hurt his ankle. He had a little bit of a bum ankle. I watched that game. I think Dwayne had a triple-double, Dwayne Wade, and it was kind of his national sort of coming-out party. It was <laughs> – there was just no doubt who was the clear better player. And this is Dwayne Wade, who's not a McDonald's All-American. That part of it had to be so rewarding for you. What was that run like in coaching at Marquette, Coach? It was incredible. And, and I'll tell you why. Because it goes all the way back to the first year that Dwayne played when we went to Alaska. We started out 2-0 and that year. And it was Dwayne was in our first recruiting class, but he didn't play the first year, as everybody knows, right? Why? So, did, why did you recruit him? Why did you um, want him? We need. I, I'll tell you what. Tim Buckley, who's now at South Carolina, was on my staff. He knew his high school coach Jack Fitzgerald. He had seen him play. Um, he talked about the academics. I think the number one reason that he really wasn't on people's radars was because of the academics that he didn't have. But really, he also. He just wasn't one of those guys. He wasn't a notoriety guy. He didn't, it, it wasn't about his consistency yet at that point. It was about the flashes that he would have. And I think when I took over at Marquette, we knew that we needed an upgrade and an uptick of athleticism. We knew we needed to do that. And the smartest thing I ever did, because at that point in time, I wasn't smart enough to oversign. Right. So we didn't use a scholarship. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I swear to God, yeah. we, we didn't use a scholarship. So basically, in all honesty, Dwayne Wade got the fourth of four scholarships that year. We signed a teammate of his from the AAU, Odarte Blankston. We signed two players in the state, Terry Sanders, who was from Milwaukee, Vincent, and gone to Hargrave Military, and Scott Merritt, who had, go had gone to Wauwatosa East. Who those he was really the prize of the class, right? But Dwayne had an athleticism, and I think this is where I learned that you trust your instincts on who people are as much as you trust what you see, right? Because my first conversation with him was unbelievable. I was driving home from Marquette to our house in Mequon. It was like a 25-minute ride. I was on the phone with him, probably 30. Remember every bit of it. It was only uh, two nights a week that you could call him. And it was because he wasn't at home. He was at his girlfriend's house. And that's when he could be on the phone. And so, like, I started recruiting him before I ever saw him play. And I wanted to like him. Well, like, once you start to see him play, he'd do flashes of things. You know, he'd get a dunk here. He'd, he'd, he'd make a play. And he wasn't even starting but half the time on his AAU team with the Illinois Warriors. And so it was just like, this kid is such a good kid. And he's had a tough life. And there's something about his athleticism that I think we can do something with, but you wanted, it was one of those deals early on. You almost talk yourself into it because at the end yeah. of the day, it was Illinois state and Bradley were the only schools recruiting him. but I didn't want to not like him. I wanted to like him. And 
grew to love him, obviously. And I think we go to Alaska. We start out the season 2-0. and I realize that the fans are starting to come. Now, we're starting to get – we hadn't done anything yet, but we'd had – we're starting to get a student base. So I felt like that was pretty important. We go to Alaska, and we win three games in Alaska. Now, you want to talk about Camelot? That, to me, is as important <laughs> to me being there. Because in, in Alaska, I don't know if you ever played basketball there, if you guys have been there. If you go for basketball, that's all you're doing because you're going to have about four hours of sunlight. You know, you're going to – we saw <laughs> rain here. We did some fun things, man, but it's basketball, right? Yeah. So, But we won. We beat Tennessee after being down 11 at half. He had 31 or 32 in the game. Okay, we turn around uh, the next night, and who would we beat? Uh, Indiana. Okay, we beat Indiana. and we, we won on a Wednesday, Thursday off for Thanksgiving. We play Indiana on a Friday. They go to the national championship game that year with Jared Jeffries. And then we beat Gonzaga. who has Dan Dickow, Richie Fromm. It's Roni mm. Turioff's uh, first real tournament. And we win the championship. And so it was like that was the beginning of where we could really go. We won 10 straight. Uh, we, we, had, we had some great wins. We had a great win at Louisville that year. And, and Dwayne stayed. He wasn't ready for the draft. And spending that time with those guys and building that program was unbelievable. And you bring up the Hall of Fame. That was phenomenal. But probably what even topped that is when we went back this summer so that Marquette could honor our Final Four team. And we had a Sunday night through a Monday afternoon. I left Monday afternoon. They still had Monday night. But we had every player back but one, every coach back but one. Darren Horn, who's from Lexington, had come back yeah, yeah. with his wife, Carla. Uh, we had two, we missed two coaches. I'm sorry, but it was, I haven't had a better day in years. Uh, and I had that Sunday night with them, with my family, with their families, mm. and just to laugh. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And they're grownups now. And they're kind of grownups. Yes. You know, with kids. Right. And, and we've all stayed in touch, but to me, that's when you realize how special it was. Because 20 years later, which it's going to be in 2003, March of 2003, to have that those kind of relationships, that's how you win. And, and I try to tell people, and it's so hard because everybody wants to talk about the new era, right, of sports and life and basketball. Okay, everything has changed. What hasn't changed is how you win. Yeah. What hasn't, that has not changed, mm-hmm. right? There's different ways to play the game, right? You There's the way more five out now. I'm sorry? I said that the game's changed, but the players are the same. Well, it's how you win it, right? Like there's 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 more five out than there is three out, two in, right? Yeah, right? There's more drive and kick than there is triangle. But at the end of the day, you better have a connected team. And, yeah. and you better be teaching your players and they better be getting better. And they better not only be able to want to see each other be successful, they better pull for each other doing it. And, mm-hmm. and um, you have to fight it all the time. You have to fight selfishness, my turn. I want this. I want that. Because at the end of the day, people spend more time in sports right now worrying about what they're not getting. Okay, be it shots, touches, targets as a receiver, innings as a pitcher, at bats as a batter. And we go right on down the line. Right. Ice time in hockey. They spend more time worrying about what they're not getting than maxing out the opportunities that they do get. And it's almost like that's the way it is. You have got to be able to play through every possible mistake. You've got to be able to play through every possible adversity. You've got to be able to play through every possible bad day if you're going to have any type of consistency and good days that are going to lead to success. You know, Coach, uh, uh, that day, 
2003. I'll, I'll never forget it. As we were getting ready to play, you guys, I found out that I was coaching a, a group of 10 and 11-year-olds at the uh, Hollywood YMCA that year. And I found out that our games were at the same time, and I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and so I went up to this gym, and I was, like, coaching and checking my phone and coaching. And, well, one thing, we had this little Russian kid. He sat on the bench with me. I had to take him out. This guy, he goes, I'm sorry, coach. I underestimate my opponent. I was like, okay, <laughs> all right. All right. I remember this. Well, it's okay. <laughs> Um, but I kept checking it. And finally, after the game, we lose. And I called my friends like, we made this guy, Dwayne Wade, look like an all-time player, one of the best ever. It's like, well, it turns out, you know, when was – when for two questions. One is I remember during that game, the Russian kid's dad kept coming up with plays drawn out, like for me to run for 10-year-olds and stuff. And I kept being like, thank you. And then finally, like, get out of here. How do you, at coaching every, at every level, you got to deal with that, with the families. And that is really, really difficult. How do you, how do you walk that line? And uh, also, when did you know, was there a moment in practice or something where you were like, oh, Dwayne Wade is going to be Dwayne Wade like what those two questions how do you deal with parents and when did, was there a moment you let knew? me give you three answers on the on the second on the second part with Dwayne okay. his Christmas or it, it, they had Christmas tournaments in Chicago right and there was one day uh assistant of mine he's at Western Michigan now as a head coach Dwayne Stevens okay he went to watch it okay and in the morning he got 48 points and 17 rebounds okay at 10 o'clock in the morning or 11 o'clock in the morning and he was and he was texting was he texting? I think he was calling. I don't think we were texting yet. He was calling with updates throughout the day. We were home practice. And that night he got 42 and 13. And so in one day, in one day. So like I wasn't there. I later saw tape. So that was like something that gets your attention. The first year yeah. that he sat out, he drove the ball from the right side of the floor behind the three-point line, took two dribbles. And on the third dribble, he jumped over a young man named John Harris, who was six seven. 240 at that point, jumped over him. Vince Carter like jumped over I him in a scrimmage in practice. And he was <laughs> sitting out. He was sitting out. So, like that was a moment. But I'll tell you the moment that I knew he was gone is we're playing at Louisville and we're down 19 at Louisville. Uh, I think it was a Thursday night. Okay. It's it's a packed house. He's got Garcia, he's got Gaines, he's got everybody there. Rick's rolling. I mean, they're they're blowing yeah. us out, right? 19 point deficit. And we come back. And we come back inside of the game and Dwayne makes a move that was, he went around three different people, but all individually changed direction, changed speed, got into a spin, lifted a guy up, shot it high off the backboard, which he was so good at. And I turned to Darren Horn. I said, he's gone. I said, there's no doubt he's gone. <laughs> right? and, and I already knew he was gone. I already knew he was gone. Right. But I didn't know he was gone like that. Right. <laughs> like <laughs> the secret not, is out. Yeah, he's not he's not gonna sneak into the lottery. Like this dude's going yeah. in the top five to ten, right? Yeah. And um there were just moments like that. Oh, but that's so good. We went through so much together, and that team went through so much together that like you wanted him to. Like I learned back then, you know, like okay, if you're ready to go we're going to help you pack your bags, right? I'm going to tell you the truth. If you're ready to go, like, there's no doubt 
But we got to know what the truth is, not what everybody else on the outside says. Right. But right. if you're not ready to go, I'm going to tell you the truth on that too. I'm going to tell you how we get there. Yeah. You know, I learned early on, you're never going to hold somebody back for you because you keep reminding them like, man, I'm making money. You know, I've got this contract. I don't need you to stay for me. Do I want you to leave because I don't want you here? No. I mean, I really don't. But if you can go make the money, if you can go, but you got to be ready. Because that league yeah. is so hard, like you said earlier, Rex, that league is so hard to so hard. stay in. Yeah. And now the reason it's easier is because so many people, whether it's the G League, Exhibit 10, two ways, you know, they're all clamoring for those. Mm. And, 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 and that's what's so much about, like the NBA Summer League is not about, you know, who's getting a contract uh, or who's getting their next contract. It's about who's going to get an Exhibit 10, who's going to get that's a right. two-way. The yeah. competition for those things are incredible. Yeah. And if you're not wired to compete coming out of college early, and if you don't understand that you got to fight and you're not fighting the guys on your summer league roster of 18 to 20 guys, you're fighting every other team's roster because they want the same thing because the NBA is so well scouted. Right. And I think like that's what you're trying to get across to them. Well, the other part is when you're dealing with the kids and their families, you've got what I've learned over a period of time. And this is probably one of the greatest lessons I learned is you got to listen, right? Because mm -hmm. when you're dealing with it, when you're dealing, especially as the head coach, you're not a great listener. And I think the more that I've had guys go to the NBA and spent time with them and talk to them and try to help them through things, the more I become a better listener. Mm -hmm. And I think you become a better listener with your team. So you start to try to feel what the pressure is, right? And I think you always got to look for the red flags in recruiting, right? The helicopter parent. Uh, the both yeah. sides against the middle kid, uh, the overbearing parent that that they speak for the kid. What's getting harder and harder all the time is kids to make their own decisions. Yeah. And now you throw the money into it. You know, now you throw the name, image and likeness part of it into it. And so it becomes a bidding war or it becomes what are you going to do for me? But at the end of the day, the kid needs to hear the young person. They got to hear what it's going to take for them to get better. So I, I think you have to continue to listen. You got to find ways to have some empathy for what they're hearing from the other people. But at some point in time, they have to understand there's only two people that are determining your playing time, you and me. Right? Yeah. That's yeah. it. Right. And the more that you get distracted by people that can't do anything about your playing time or your success, the easier you're making it for me to not play you. And I don't want it to be easy for me not to play you. Why would I recruit you if I didn't want to play you? But if you're not going to play the right way, if you're not going to listen, if you're not going to be a teammate, if you're going to be centered on you, all right, your shelf life of minutes is going to go down. Yeah. And I think that's what you have to work so hard at. You don't like pit them against the families, but you get them to understand what your family wants and what we want are really the same thing. We're just going about it a different way. And until we figure out how we're going to go about it the right way and the way that's going to work for you, because I think anybody that thinks that that when you look at the power five, and I think you could go even deeper on this. If you put a don't put your name to it uh, questionnaire in front of most college basketball players, 70 percent of them think they're leaving in one year and probably 80 to 85 yeah. percent think they're leaving in two. Yeah. Now, if they put their name to it or you put a camera or a mic in front of them, then oh, I want to go four years. I want to get my degree. You know, I'm looking at a grad degree. No, no, you're trying to get out in one year. Yeah. And yeah. once you get into year three and four, now you're starting to get nervous about getting drafted. Now it's where those exhibit tens and two ways and all that stuff starts to come in. Right. 
And so I think you've got to help. I I, I think they come in with very little fear of their future. And as Mm -hmm. every day goes on, the fear increases. And you've got to help take that fear and turn it into a focus because the people around them get anxious. And And I'm a parent. I get it. Right. I get it. I completely get it. You've got to take that anxiousness from people that in defense mechanisms that can get played out so many different ways. And you better keep helping them get back to the truth of what's going to work for them. And I think that's where having a track record with former with former players, if they will listen to them and listen to those stories, it helps. This podcast is brought to you by Branded Bills, the best place online for premium headwear and apparel. Branded Bills has hundreds of designs available, including our popular state collection, where you can show your pride with hats, shirts, hoodies, and more for all 50 states. Are you a company looking to brand your business? Branded Bills also offers custom apparel options that can meet your brand standards with fast turnaround and shipping. To shop or learn more, visit brandedbills.com today. Here you go. You have these two incredible players that are super high draft picks and and you have to they weren't that in the beginning and Dwayne Wade and Victor Oladipo and then you end up having coaching Anthony Edwards Mm -hmm. which he was that he He was was the number one recruit and so that how differently did you have to handle those players because that's completely different situations you're right well I think at at Indiana we start we never had McDonald's All-Americans at Marquette but we started to get him at Indiana Right. Cody Zeller, Yogi Farrell, Thomas Bryant, uh, Noah Vonley, mm-hmm. but it's James Blackman. But it's the same thing. I think what you learn when you start to recruit the higher ranked player like Cody Zeller had tremendous success. Incredible person. Two other brothers played in the NBA uh, eventually. Um, well raised. You name it. But Cody, Cody Zeller had things to get better at. Right. Like 15 feet and in. Right. He was ridiculous. Right. Running. Uh, getting up and down the floor like that year in that game uh, with Anthony Davis, he and Anthony Davis were the two best runners in college. Yeah. I mean, I put those two, you take those two to the Olympics, right? Yeah. And and those two are going to, those two are going to run some long distance races and win, but he had to get better. Right. And you learn that no matter how good you are, no matter how, le- how highly recruited you are, if you ever get away from player development and if you ever stop pushing them, you're doing a disservice. And I think what happens too many times in one and done environments and and two and out environments is guys spend too much time trying to get you good at their system than your skills. Okay. Because your skills have got to last you for a lifetime. And if you don't start to, or at least, at least your basketball lifetime, if you don't start to put and and become more well-versed in so many different areas, your shelf life. And I think you got to be, you should be a good enough coach. You can take their skills and make it fit your system. So you have to practice, but you have to make them better. And I think because I went through that with different guys, once we got Anthony, you know, who was a year early, he had such a good heart and there was Mm -hmm. such a commitment. Like I took him at face value. I didn't take him at camera value. I didn't take him at what others were saying. I didn't take him based on what people were writing about him. I took him at face value. He wanted to get better. He really didn't want to leave home. He lost his mother and his grandmother when he was in the eighth grade, you know, within eight, nine months of each other. He had his family, he had his sister, he had a little nephew. He didn't really want to go, right? But he knew what was coming, but he had no idea how he was going to get there. But he trusted that he wanted to stay home, but he trusted that we'd had some success. Well, those first three weeks for him 
were darn near impossible because now he realized why he came right in the summertime. Like, no, no, we're going to finish this drill. No, no, we're going to, <laughs> we're going to go through this workout. You have to learn. I don't know how it is, how you guys see basketball with, with young players, but what I think the hardest thing for them to learn is how to work in other small groups because they love working individually. Yeah. Right. And in practice, if you're really good, you're either going to dominate or you're going to rest. And a lot of times, because you can dominate, the coach is going to let you rest. So you can go sit on the side and not have to do certain things. Well, you get in a small group with three other people, five other people, seven other people. Now, there's nowhere to hide. It's like playing three on three. That's why everybody leaves so much. There's nowhere to hide. Yeah. So Anthony had to learn that, no, no, we're not fooling around. This is how you're going to get where you got to go. We're going to make these changes. We're going to make these additions. We're going to make your game even better. And when they've had that kind of success – that it doesn't go in. Sometimes it goes in one ear and out the other, but sometimes it never goes in that one ear. Yeah. Like they yeah. know how they want to do it, <laughs> but we were able to break that down and, and, and we didn't have tremendous success on the court that year. And, and we didn't have enough shooting, not even close in my time at Georgia. When I look back at my Indiana days and we didn't have probably enough maturity on that team that we had him with, but he got better because I would do things. I would do things, Josh, like this, if there was shell drill, Okay, and everybody had to get one stop in the shell drill before we rotated on. If I thought he needed an uptick, I might make his group get three stops in a row. <laughs> I brought out the competition. You know, if I walked yeah. into practice and I didn't sense him ready to go, and this this might make the other guys jealous or mad, but at, at certain places of time, you got to read your team. I would do it with mm. other players too. I would grab him and we would shoot anywhere from five to eight minutes or eight to 12 minutes and get him going because that's – what he loves, you know, a lot of times to get somebody's strengths to come to life, you have to appeal to their passions. Yes, sir. Right. Like Christian Watford's a great example of this. Christian Watford loved shooting threes. Well, he wasn't real good at it his first two years. He shot 32%. <laughs> and to get him to do other things on the court at, at Indiana, we had to make sure we're still spending a lot of time on that three-point shot because that's what he loves, right? Wow. He shot 48%, guys, over his last two years nice. at Indiana. So he's 32% first two, 48 last two, makes maybe the most famous three in Indiana basketball history, okay, in, in the Kentucky game because we never stopped coaching him to his passion. But, hey, yeah. here's what your strengths have got to become. Yeah. And, and, and and eventually they migrated. And that's what you want as a player. And that's what we did with Anthony. You know, appeal to his competitiveness, you know, fix footwork, but never be afraid to coach him, tell him the truth. And I think what's getting harder and harder with young players, especially young, great players, is a lot of people more and more are afraid to have a confrontation without a solution. Yeah. Right? It's one thing to have a confrontation and walk away mad. It's one thing to have a confrontation and create conflict and we don't fix it, right? Like Tom Izzo is a master at a lot of things. One thing he will not do is he will not let the sun go down on a problem, right? Like if there's an issue, if there's an issue, he's going to hit it. He's going to rectify it. Okay, but it's not lingering for two or three days. Right. Now it, it might be, it may not be fixed, right? Like it may not be, it's not all utopia after one day, but he's not letting the sun go down on a problem. Well, I learned that from him. Yeah, I learned that from me. I learned that from Ralph Willard, in all honesty. Ralph Willard was masterful at reaching players and reaching a team. Just absolutely masterful. And I see it in Kevin now, you know, when he's coaching no. Maryland and coaching Seton Hall. And, and I was really fortunate to be around people that were like that. 
And yeah. so I've really tried to make sure that's how I coach. And I don't think you can ever be afraid to coach your best players with solutions. Okay. If you're going to find problems, you better find solutions and you can't be afraid to point out those problems or they, or, or they, or they don't get fixed. Yeah. And then they go on to the next level and those expectations are there. Like I always said, when Anthony leaves us, he he's, he's going to have a long way to go as a player because when he left us, he was still 18. Right. I mean, but he's going to have a better idea how to be a professional. Yeah. And no, that's absolutely. Right. Was, was there a time just like uh, with, with Dwayne where you're like, Ooh, he's that dude. Well, was there a practice or games with Anthony Edwards where everyone already said he was that dude, but where you went, Oh yeah, they're right. He's that dude. Would no, you I re- think, remember yeah. a moment? Definitely. Yeah. And it really wasn't in practice. I think we started to see what he could be like defensively in practice when we pushed him. But the Michigan State game where we were down 28 in Maui and he just single handedly. We basically came back in that game with always three, sometimes four freshmen on the floor. And he ended up having a monster game in the 30s. We ended up losing the game at the end, but we took a 28 point deficit and came back and cut it to two. And he was just at another level. Wow. And then I think the next game when we played Chaminade and, and like, if you don't beat Chaminade, you're going home 0 and 3, right? <laughs> right. Right. And he hits a game winner. Okay. When I'm calling an action and he's going to have the ball, like I'm not, I want I him remember to remember this, ball, but I want him to get to the rim. Right. So like, I want him to go to the basket <laughs> and put pressure on the, on the rim to get the pressure on the officiating to go to the foul line. And he makes up his mind. He's going to go to a step back three and he hits it. And he looks over at me and he's shaking his head and it's like, okay, I got you. I see, <laughs> I see that level. I, I mean, uh, okay. I understand. It's so good. You're going to listen I, to me too, but I get it. I remember, I, I, I know we got to let you go here, but I, you brought up, uh, you know, advice and coaching and coaching kids hard. I, I, two things that uh, remind me, I, I feel very fortunate growing up. My father was a coach yep. and uh, I was in ninth grade. Thank you. I was in ninth grade and I uh, was playing on the freshman team. I was playing on the JV team. I was starting on those and I was coming off the bench on the varsity. And he didn't get to see us play much because he had his own team, his own college team he's coaching. And he came home one day and I was there and he said, how practice go varsity practice? I said, our coach doesn't know what he's doing. He said, what the fuck did you say? I said, our coach doesn't know what he's doing. He said, you don't think your coach wants to win? I said, yeah, yeah, he wants. He said, well, if he felt like he could win with you, then you'd be playing more. Um, So the object is when you go in, play so hard and so well that he can't take you out. How about you try that? And (laughs) I remembered, I checked that, I filed it real quick. Don't talk shit about your coach. Right. So I didn't have that problem anymore. Um, But it was a reminder to me, just like, hey, the coach wants to win. He's not out here trying to lose. And then I remember going off to college uh, the last day at home. And uh, dad said, hey, listen, uh, Coach Sutton, Coach Casey, they've all recruited you. It's been nothing but roses and all that stuff. Just know you're getting ready to go there and go through. Uh, conditioning and summer and all that. And there are going to be days you're going to come back to the dorm and you're going to hate them. You're going to hate to think that you're going to have to see them tomorrow. He said, but sleep on it 
And those that sleep on it, accept it, take it in. Those days will be few and far between if you do that. And sure enough, there, <laughs> there were days like that, days during conditioning where I thought maybe I should just transfer. I, I don't know if I can play anywhere, you know, and but knowing that I'd had that guy that he'd done that before, it gave me a lot of uh, a, a lot of comfort and, and I, it allowed me to bust my ass. Um, but coach, I, I know you do the same thing with your players and I can't thank you enough for coaching players up hard, coaching them up smart and loving them. What you just said though, what you just said right there, it, that would change so much and, and people. And, and again, everyone would think it doesn't apply to them. If uh, people now it's getting harder and harder to find that one person. Okay. That will continue yeah. to tell them the truth. Now I had a son that played uh, baseball, basketball. He got drafted by the White Sox out of high school. And I didn't know enough about baseball. And I tried to stay out of the basketball, but I always about this, okay? As a parent, all right? Don't ever take their spirit. Don't ever create any doubt in them. And don't take their confidence, right? Like that's the only thing that I was really concerned about. Yeah. So if coaches are trying to bring those things, it's really important. But I look back, Dwayne Wade would tell you right now, the, the summer between... Because Josh asked earlier, when did you know? Once you know, okay, what you have, and I think it's with everybody, but especially when you have enormous talent like that, you're either going to pull it out of them every day, okay, or you're going to be afraid to, okay? You're either going to accept that you have to go hard every day, or you're going to be afraid to challenge it, right? Well, between freshman and sophomore year, he hadn't played yet. That spring was was hard, right? Like those individual workouts were hard. He didn't have a season to look back at, okay, and understand that he had to get better. All he had was practice. So he was ready to to transfer every weekend when he went home Mm -hmm. to Chicago. Well, his coach, Jack Fitzgerald, much like your dad, okay, his coach, Jack Fitzgerald, uh, would tell him every weekend, no, you're going back. You Many weekends, he'd drive him back. Mm -hmm. This is why he's doing it, because he coached, right? He knew, and and he had an investment in him and love. Like, when I go see the former players now, or I talk to them, I have ideas of where their game should be. I, I, I watch enough film and know their game well enough. And again, they have coaches, right? They have a present day mm-hmm. coach. It's not about your ex's nose with them, but you never stop being their coach. Yeah. And I think, again, it goes back to listen to them because now you can figure out, okay, you don't have to tell them what they want to hear, but you got to understand what you're, they're thinking before you can tell them what they need to hear. Yeah. And I think to me, that's what you need. If more people just had that one person, okay, they would say, no, this is why he's doing it. You're going to have a lot less. You'd have transfers for the right reasons rather than on whims. Yeah. Right. And again, I don't have a problem with the transfer portal. I have a problem for some of the reasons people go in. Right. Because it got hard. Right. right? Uh, And that's what you can't do. I agree. Coach, uh, I know we got to let you go. What's your favorite movie real quick? uh stripes always has been fantastic <laughs> fantastic <laughs> love it love it love See, it i didn't know that was coming it right to the top of my right head. there love no it question. no uh question. what about front row center to watch any performer or, or athlete or singer dead or alive oh singer's got to be you too i've been i've been as close as fifth row when i was younger and i've been in a box if i could just be front row if i could be around that with you too i'd be great and you know what? One of my huge regrets, I never met him, but even more importantly than never meeting him, I never got to see him work out. I always regret that I never got to see Kobe Bryant. Uh, one of those in the gym, 
early morning. Uh, what he would say, you know, I know Kevin Eastman wrote about this. He said um, Kobe would work to the point where he blacked out, right? Like whatever that really means. Like he worked so hard that he couldn't go any longer. I would have liked to have been, I would have liked to seen that because I've seen some greats practice, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it, it, it's, it's some greats. I saw Michael yeah. Jordan in a walkthrough. I've seen Albert Pujols get ready in batting practice. And I could go right on down the line. Like those yeah. are the things that you remember more than the games when you really are looking at greatness and leadership. Yeah. And, and so to me, anytime that I could see somebody phenomenal that's done it over a period of time, work behind the scenes to get ready for what they're doing. I'd rather do that than be at the game. I watch the that game, is such a great answer. It's like anybody front row center, yeah. an early morning Kobe Bryant self workout. I mean, that's so a great. great answer. Yeah. I think Fantastic. that, I, I think that, and I could go right on down the line, you know, with actors, I think you can learn so much from every situation. I mean, I really do. I don't think there's any, yeah. I don't think there's anything you can't learn from because the greats in acting, the greats in directing and producing, the greats in business, I mean, you name it, the greats and all those things, you better be really, really special not to want to learn from other people, right? right. Like you better That's be right. uniquely talented to yeah. not want to learn from others. But the majority of them, they do want to learn from others. And you learn that there's so much crossover, uh, not only in sports, but in, in other parts of the world and in life. And there's so many things that you can apply. That's why, you know, I want to be educated before I'm entertained. Because I think yeah. you're going to get better at it no matter what. That's right. Mm. Coach, I can't thank you enough for doing this. We've kept you way too long today. Oh, this is I'm, great. I'm looking forward to watching you this upcoming season, listening to you break down games. And I can't wait to see where you land next coaching because I know you're born to do that. I appreciate that very much. It's great to be with both of you and, and uh, really appreciate you asking me and having me on. Come back. Thank Thanks, you coach. so Go. much, Coach. This was yep. great. Thank you so you're much. Very welcome, thank you very much. Josh. That, that might have been our longest pod ever. Uh, I could have listened to and talked to Tom Crean all day long. What a guy. Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> he born to do it. Another one. Yeah. Born to do it. You can just tell the passion. Those guys, you ask them a question, they're like, oh, and I'll tell you this. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, it's like a, it's like a, uh, all of them, all those coaches, especially, it's like a, uh, uh, they're teaching a class or sermon every time. It's like they have so many little nuggets that you can take and just apply it to to your life now, just as as you could to the on the basketball court when you were playing. Coaching and leadership are are, are very difficult things. Not everybody can lead. I like I'm I'm amazed when I come across the really successful coaches like this because they all they all have their own unique way. And, but I love hearing how, you know, he learns from others, how he's got his brother-in-laws who he, his, his brother-in-laws, he's got peers that he talks to. He goes and watches practices. You know, he's out of coaching right now. He went to Dallas and watched them, uh, watched uh, Luca and those guys practice for a bit. Uh, what a fascinating guy. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you said it best. All right, buddy. Well, uh, let's do this again next week. Want to? I would. I will. All right. Let's do this again one more time next week on the Rex Chapman Show with Super Josh Hopkins right here on basketballnews.com.